Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Muslim CEO show. This is the place for you if you want to grow your business and take yourself to the next level in leadership. I am your host and brother Muhammad Arshad and today I am honored to have with me the amazing Riyadh Shama. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum How's it going Riyadh? Alhamdulillah going well. Alhamdulillah. Fantastic. Okay, so I'm super excited to have you on the show. Now, the reason why I'm super excited is because I feel like the work you're doing is, is so important. It's extremely important. It's very interesting. It's very challenging. Um, and also, like, I've been really, really impressed with your knowledge, your experience when it comes to leadership and the youth. Um, so I'm really, really looking forward to getting into these topics with you, inshallah. So for those of you that don't know, let me just give you a quick uh, overview of Riyadh. Uh, so he's the founder and executive director of the Institute of Youth Development and Excellence, known as IYDE and Y Transform. Uh, so he has three children uh, who are 18 to 22 years old and he lives in Cincinnati, Ohio. He has over 30 years of active youth work experience at all levels of involvement. He's trained more than 200 mentors and helped several communities develop teams of mentors to work with the youth as well as developing and running programs for thousands of young Muslims. He is, check this out, a PhD candidate in non-profit management and is currently completing his PhD in leadership studies. He's volunteered for 20 years with Minor as a counsellor, uh, camp director and advisor, as well as with Isna Majlis Youth Committee. His current and previous roles as a youth advisor, parent imam and mosque board member makes him one of the world's leading authorities on the Muslim youth. Riyadh, Jazakallah Khair for joining me today. I'm really, really happy that we're going to get to spend some time talking. Um, I'm very, very interested in your PhD in leadership studies and stuff. But I just think that it's it's going to be amazing. But before I get into like the meat of it, I want to ask you uh, a question I ask everyone. Is what was 10-year-old Riyadh like? Um, very creative, imaginative. Um somebody who enjoyed reading a lot, somebody who um, was just really still exploring the world, somebody fifth grade. So we were in the process of, uh, we moved to Saudi Arabia, um, you know, from Italy. So that was our first year there. Um, so it was really, it was a year of, year of growth um, and, and a lot of excitement really just to, kind of be out in the world and, and seeing how um, how everything was unfolding and, and developing. Amazing. Now, do you remember what you wanted to be at that age? Well, I was really into a lot of those um, uh, spycraft things. I had all those like kid versions of spycraft <laughs> and okay. uh, just kind of fascinated by the the technologies and the you know the, the secret ink and um, you know and those kinds of things um, but otherwise I I don't know I never had the you know I want to be an astronaut or I want to be the president kind mm. of uh, yeah, of thoughts but I also wasn't thinking really along the lines of any particular profession um, mm. quite honestly I just probably assumed that I would have kind of gone into, you know, engineering as my father did. And, um, but it wasn't something I spent a whole lot of time dwelling upon, I think. Okay. So it's quite interesting because you said, uh, obviously you're from Cincinnati, Ohio now, right? 
Um, but you said you were moving from Italy to Saudi Arabia. So what was going on there? So I was blessed to have a chance to kind of grow up in several different places. I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. We were here six years. Then we moved to Indianapolis, uh, Indiana. Uh, so we were there for a couple of years. So um, my dad was working with uh, MSA at the time. Uh, so that was back in its infancy before it was ISNA or anything like that. Uh, and then he got a job in uh, Italy. So we moved to Italy. We were there for a year. Mm. But that company was a uh, concrete block manufacturing company based in Saudi Arabia, actually. So a year after that, we moved to Italy. So basically, I was in Cincinnati through kindergarten in, in, in um, yeah, Indianapolis from first through third grade, fourth grade was in Italy, fifth grade to halfway through 10th grade was in Saudi Arabia. And we were back to Indianapolis to finish 10th grade and then back to Cincinnati from 11th grade on. Wow. So, so all over the place, basically. Alhamdulillah, yes, yeah. And then, yeah, and it was really it was a great blessing to have a chance to actually grow up in multiple cultures because you really start to see the world for what it is. And I think one of my great insights from that is actually that when you live in different cultures, you no longer see the world as well. Or everything where I'm from is best. You know, most people tend to think, oh yeah, other cultures are nice, but you know, America's best or UK is best or. You know, wherever people are from, they tend to feel that's the best. And I remember growing up, a lot of people asking me things like, well, you know, isn't it much better here, uh, you know, in each place I was? And I was like, well, the reality is every place has its benefit, mm -hmm. you know, so. Mashallah, wise child, yeah? <laughs> yeah, alhamdulillah. Okay, amazing. So from so, there, like, obviously, um, you know, we see you as a leadership expert now, like a youth expert. Um, just talk us through a little bit about what happened after you moved back to Cincinnati and tell us a little bit about the story from Cincinnati to like today where we are. So um, when I came back, um, MENA had, was basically just beginning. So MENA is Muslim Youth of North America. And that came out of a lot of uh, ISNA programs where the youth programs were pretty horrendous. Um, you know, I remember being, you know, kind of dropped off and, and they would kind of have all the youth in a room. The doors would be locked. The people there as counselors would be kind of basically guarding the doors. <laughs> and there was like nothing inside. And, and the big thing was, I remember for me and my friends was, you know, how can we escape the room? you know, and then be out and about and kind of run around, do whatever we want, and then get back in time before our parents came to pick us up. Um, because there was no programming or anything like that. And so, you know, MINA, you know, came out of that. And the idea was, you know, let's have something for the youth, by the youth. And that's really where the growth of youth programming came out of. That was actually something exciting. It engaged the youth. It was pulling them in. And so those of us that were actually interested in Islamic programming were developing those kind of programs. And, you know, the idea behind that was, okay, we'll have these programs, we'll have some national conferences, and then everyone goes back to their community and has youth programs there. So they'll start up youth groups and they'll be supported by their communities and things mm -hmm. will, grow, will grow. The reality ended up being over time is that the communities weren't really supporting our youth as they should. Right. Um, and some were a little better than others, 
but really it was you know primarily the youth doing the work. Uh, we had counselors at camps, and we encouraged them to stay involved with the youth that they were interacting with. But again, they signed up for a week of camp, and and they were typically college students and other things going on, so they weren't really doing much after camp. You know, we had a few that were really good, and they stayed in touch with the youth, but for the most part, they didn't. And then within MENA, we assigned advisors to all of the different um, youth that were in charge of uh, programs or their youth committees and so forth. So in a way, what was happening is that those youth were becoming more successful. They went on to their you know, Muslim student associations, MSAs in college. Uh, they started to get those active now because they had that support from their advisors and were taking their skills and, and growing them. And so essentially, those youth that were in the leadership positions had the mentors, which were their advisors. And one of the things that I discovered in running the camps was it was kind of potluck as to who was showing up to be there as counselors. So we started to develop counselor training around that idea because that obviously enhanced the youth experience tremendously. And so those youth started to have a better experience overall because, again, they had now trained counselors that were working with them. And so the idea of uh, IYDE when it started back in 2007 was that, unfortunately, many of our youth were not getting the support that they really needed to have after they went back home after the camp. So they had these amazing experiences at camp, mm. these, these great bondings. But then they're going back home, same community, same family, same school, same neighborhood. So whatever caused them to be the way they were, caused them to revert back to that. So any gains they made at camp, most often ended up being negated or just things just kind of go back to the way they always were when they went home. And <coughs> because those because those youth didn't have that support, it you know, we had our, you know, anecdotal success stories. You know, we could point to people like, you know, Joshua Salam, uh, who, you know, is, you know, one of the you know lead singers for Native Deem. You know, and we say, MashaAllah, look, he came through Minna and, you know, we supported mm. him as counselor and look how successful he's become and so involved in his community. But, you know, that's the anecdotal case. So, yeah, we have one Joshua for 99 kids who didn't have you know any success like that mm. um and again this was a, a shortfall and and i it started iyde with this idea that we need to have trained mentors within our community so that as our youth are coming back they're able to have someone to support them individually in whatever dreams or aspirations or insights they might have gained from those camps and then take them and nurture them and help them continue to grow. Mm, amazing. Okay, fantastic. I mean, it's quite interesting because you actually went through these kind of uh, youth programs and stuff at some level. So that probably gives you a very unique insight because I think a lot of the people that kind of started, especially first generation, they probably weren't exposed to that. Um, so yeah. it's it's amazing that you went through it. Now, um, you know, tell, tell me a little bit about what is the situation of the youth? And and one of the reasons I'm asking you is because I feel like, especially myself and other maybe uh, Muslims, we live in a bit of a bubble, especially as we get older. And the other day I went to the library 
and I was sitting in the library working from there and I think during the afternoon about 3 34 o'clock when the schools finish suddenly these children started pouring into the library and then they sat on my table and I was just like fascinated by their conversation I couldn't believe the things they were speaking about and stuff so like what is yeah. the situation with these what exactly uh, is their life like right now in living as Muslims in the western world you know, subhanAllah, it's, um, I don't like to be alarmist, but the the reality is that her parents should be very concerned because there's a lot of issues they're facing, it, in part because of the, the general things that perhaps everybody experienced while they were in, in school. Uh, so, I mean, peer pressure, you know, we all know what that is, gender issues, Again, those things, you know, boy, girl, interesting each other. So, I mean, those things are this are the same in, in one sense. However, the advent of the Internet has made things drastically worse for many uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, everybody has access to everything online um, and it's free. You know, there. I mean, if you I mean, pornography is huge, unfortunately, uh, amongst everybody. And you can anybody can access anything with the simplest of searches and all kinds of horrendous things will come up you know, and, and be available and so forth. So the ease at which youth have access to things like that, um, you know, uh, poisonous ideologies, okay, whether that's people trying to, you know, take them away from Islam or take them to extremist versions, you know, of, you know, ideologies that, you know, are very counter to Islam, but people are good at manipulating those things to child predators to, I mean, just Everything is out there, and if and if the parents aren't really on it in terms of being careful and, and monitoring and double checking and following up and so forth, it just it, our kids are exposed to a lot more things, and we're seeing those kinds of things in their language, in their conversations, and so forth. And they're not going to come and talk to the parents about these things. You know, most kids are not going to come and say, "Hey, Dad, look at this site that I just found, and it's <laughs> yeah. raising some questions. How do I deal with these things?" It's most of the time, it's just it's shut down. And so I'm not going to talk to my parents about it. I'm not going to talk to the imam if our message even has an imam about it. So who do I talk to about it? Teachers at school are too busy. I want to bring it up. So I'm going to end up talking to my peers. Well, my peers have the same lack of knowledge, lack of experience, you know, as I do. And what if I'm one of those lonely kids or kids that just isn't very social? And so I don't even have friends to talk to. Mm. Well, again, I'm going to find some outlet. And if as a parent, I haven't made sure that my kids have a very positive outlet right, somebody that I'm happy for them to talk to, then it becomes very, you know, hugely problematic. You know, I was talking to a father the other day of one of the youth in our programs, and he was saying that he was, I mean, he was very blessed that all of his kids had been very good kids. And and I, I agree with him. I mean, I love his kids. Mashallah, they're, I mean, they're really excellent kids in terms of adab and behavior and everything. Mashallah, may Allah continue to preserve them. But he was saying how happy he was his kids were in the mentoring program because it gives them something positive to be doing, that it gives them other positive, you know, Muslims to be making friends with, that, you know, there are so many outside benefits, you know, this, that the idea of mentoring is not for, oh, bad kids need it, or, oh, it's just at-risk kids, but rather that it's a, it's a positive place to be, and it provides a nurturing and a growth and so forth, and that provides a means of protection, you know, for the, for the mm -hmm. children, because, again, there's just so many different you know, wild and crazy things that are out there. So 
you know, so these are some of those elements, um, you know, that really become important for us to look at and to consider when it comes to this idea of having an, an idea really of what our kids are doing. Hmm. The other thing I would say is that, again, a reality check. You know, a lot of parents just don't want to believe it. But the reality is a lot of Muslim youth have gone out and tried drugs. They've tried dating. Many of them have had sex. Some of them have had hard drugs. They've tried alcohol. You know, these are pressures that are out there. You know, there's other kids in school that are pushing them to do it. They just want to try it out. And oftentimes, many of these youth even consider themselves to be religious. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these are things that our youth are being exposed to. And by simply saying, no, no, not my kids, for sure, it's, it's not happening, isn't helping because we're not addressing the reality of the pressure. So how can my child possibly talk to me about the pressure if I'm refusing to even believe that my child would ever even think about it? You know, because my reaction becomes so harsh if they were even to bring something up that they're never going to bring it up. And so as a result... But why why do you think you know, there's that disconnect? Because on one hand, like... Those same parents, right? They're living in the same world as as the children are, right? Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, maybe they're seeing the children being nice and good in front of them and stuff. But you know, we were all kids once. We all know that yeah. the kind of things we got up to. So, why do you feel there's that massive disconnect where the parents just feel like, oh no, no, it's it's not going to be my kids, and it's probably not happening to them? I think, and two things. One, fear. You know, some parents are so afraid of it that it's better to pretend it doesn't exist. You know, the ostrich syndrome. I'm going to stick my head in the sand. The other one is sometimes, honestly, the ego of the parents, right? It's like, well, yeah, sure, you're a bad dad and, and you, do, you, know, you can't handle those kinds of things and so forth. But, you know, I'm a good dad. I know how to raise my kids. And so I raise them properly. Therefore, it's impossible they did those things. Because if they did those things, I would say that I was a bad dad. I'm not a bad dad. Okay? And so that, that ego gets in the way of them uh, being willing to even see the reality of what's happening. Um, you know, the other thing, for example, is uh, mental health issues, mm -hmm. right? You know, specifically depression and depression that gets so bad that kids try suicide. Every community I know, you know, there are Muslim teens that have attempted suicide. And, and of course, in, in some cases, they've been successful at it. Now, we don't talk about it because it's a big taboo. Of course, it's haram. And what family wants to say that my child you know, committed suicide. And again, it looks bad on us. You know, what kind of parents were we that our child was so miserable that they mm -hmm. tried to commit suicide and so forth. So we don't talk about it. So most people think uh, it doesn't exist. Well, we don't have any of that in the Muslim community. No, unfortunately we do. And oftentimes it's because we've shut the door on communication. We had in Cincinnati a number of years ago, 14 year old girl tried to commit suicide. Alhamdulillah, didn't succeed. So when they asked her afterwards, you know, why did you try to do it? She said, I didn't have anybody to talk to. Mm. You know, she was feeling so lonely, so isolated. She had so many issues and, and, and things that were on her mind, but didn't feel that she had anybody that she could go to. Mm. And we, we live in this delusion that because maybe as a, a guy giving the khutbah, we stand up and say, if anybody has any issues or concerns, don't worry, you can come talk to us. Well, that doesn't do it, you know? I mean, the reality is, and if we're honest with ourselves, we all know, we've heard people make that blanket statement before. Hey, if you need anything, just call me. But the reality is none of us go to that person. Mm. Why? Because we have to have a relationship with somebody before we open up, especially about something deep and serious. Mm. 
Mm. You know, so these, you know, and, and again, this goes back to the core of why I believe that mentoring is so critical for our communities, because with mentors, we're creating real meaningful relationships with our youth. And those relationships allow our youth to actually come and talk to us because then they already know that we're not judging them, that that we're there for them, that we care about their interests, that we're not getting anything out of it. When, when I volunteer my time as a mentor, I'm not getting paid. I mean, maybe my gas money is covered if some community wants to do something like that, but like I'm not getting paid. I'm not getting rich. There's nothing that the, the youth can do for me. And so the youth see that as like, wow, you're giving up your time. You've got your family. You've got whatever other things going on in your life, but you care enough about me to spend time with me. And that's deeply meaningful to the youth. And then they see, so you actually care about me in our conversations when nothing major has been going on. You haven't been judgmental. You've been trying to get me to succeed in life. Even when I fail or don't follow through, you still don't give up on me. You still encourage me and so forth. Okay, you're someone I can trust. Mm. And so whether it's I'm in trouble, I need to talk to somebody or just, man, I'm getting all this pressure. I don't know what to do with it. But I can come talk to you about it. And, and just get that bit of extra support and so forth that I need. And, you know, and I just, subhanAllah, just having somebody that you really feel honestly I can go and talk to is huge. And that can solve so many issues. I mean, it's not going to, nothing solves everything. You know, and some people have, you know, serious mental health issues. They need a professional psychologist or psychiatrist and, and so forth. But there's a lot in between and there's a lot of people who we perceive or imagine are so happy and fine, but they're not. And we can't wait for people to break to say, oh, well, how can we help now? Mm. Because, well, now it's late. You know, it's, you know, and so this is really the, the essence of things that, that we need to have these positive relationships and that we need to be and we need to accept that no matter how great of parents we are, there are just some things our children are never going to want to come talk to us about. Mm. You know, it's, you know, you know, even, even now as, as, as adults, there are things that we don't want to go talk to our parents about, <laughs> you know, and yeah. whether, you know, I don't want to burden them. Uh, they're going to bring it up and embarrass me about it the rest yeah. of my life. Um, <laughs> you know, they're going to overreact, whatever it is, you know, it doesn't come out of any bad place. You know, I mean, I love my parents. I'm doing that. I think they're amazing, phenomenal, you know, people, and I'm so blessed to have them mm. as parents. But, you know, again, there's just some things where you're like, ah, oh, you know, not a conversation that that I want to have. Again, maybe I don't want to worry them, right? You know, I, whatever the case, right? And so we need to have other people that we can go to because we all need somebody that we can talk to in a way that's just really open where we're not judged. And at the same time, it's important that that person is someone who's going to give us good, proper nasiha, right? And so whether it's Matter of okay, brother, you need to be patient. Hey, brother, you need to shape up. Hey, you know, sister, you need to make this adjustment in your life. So these are things that we need to make sure that we are putting in place for our youth. And so if we can give them one or two or three mentors that they have access to, that they have that relationship developed with, then so many things unfold before them. And again, it's not just the negative things. You know, what there's the whole positive side of things. You know, I imagine, I mean, how much more might I have done? If I had had a positive mentor in my life, helping me build and encourage and so forth, right? One story, and I'd like to tell this about myself to really emphasize this point. 
I remember when I was at a youth camp as a youth, when I was maybe 16 years old, and we had an amazing speaker, Mashallah, who was talking about the virtues of memorizing Quran. Right, so he's talking about all the reward in this life, the benefits of the hereafter, how it shields you in the grave, raises your ranks in Jannah, and just on and on about all the benefits and virtues of memorizing Quran. And by the end of his lecture, I was like, man, that's it. I have to memorize the Quran. Right. I mean, how could I be an idiot to pass up on all of this, you know, barakah and reward and, and benefit? So I started doing the calculations. What if I do an ayah a day? You know, okay, da, 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 20, you know, 20 plus years to memorize the Quran. I can't wait 20 years to memorize the Quran. Are you kidding me? All this benefit, man, I need it sooner. So before the end of the camp, I had determined I was going to be memorizing about three pages a day of Quran. Now, keep in mind, I didn't have, you know, a Quran teacher. I didn't had never put any serious effort into memorizing Quran before. So I'm like, OK, I'm going to do three pages a day. So, you know, by day two, when I get home and I've only got a page and a half memorized, I'm like, well, you know, busy. I'm school. OK, on the weekend, I'm just going to knock out my 21 pages. I'm just going to sit down the whole weekend and get it knocked out. Of course, you know, end of the weekend, I've got maybe three pages down. And, um, you know, so I'm like, okay, well, you know, no worries. Uh, I've got a break coming up in, in two weeks. I'm just going to, you know, knock out my, so that's about a juz at that point. So I'll, I'll knock out my juz, you know, during the, the long break that I've got coming up. Mm. Of course, I mean, let's say that didn't happen. I get, you know, page four and five memorized, realize I forgot pages one and two, right? Because now I didn't have any review process in place, you know. You know, then it's like, okay, well, winter break, I'm going to get my, my four juz knocked out during the winter break. Well, I'll, you know, of course, that didn't happen. Okay, summer, this summer, that's it. I'm just going to lock myself in my room for three months and catch up on the 12 juz that I'm behind already, right? That didn't happen, of course. Um, you know, and then why? You feel overwhelmed and it's too much. And that's, oh, I'm forgetting stuff and now I'm, I can't get it. And then pretty soon, of course, it's just everything goes by the wayside. Much to my shame, 20 plus years later, I don't have the Quran memorized. Okay, now, had I stuck with an ayah a day, 15 years ago, I would have had the Quran memorized. Mm. And I think, well, what if I had a mentor who took that excitement when I came back and I was coming back and I'm like, man, I'm memorizing the Quran. It's got all these benefits and I'm so excited. I'm doing three pages a day. And, you know, and then he can't talk me down from there. I said, okay, that's cool. But then a week later, he says, so you got your 21 pages done? Oh, no, I only got three. I tell you, why don't you dial it back? Maybe just do a page a day. You know, and then if you do that for two weeks, then you can go up to two pages a day. Oh, not getting a page a day done either. Well, why don't you back it down? Do, you know, 10 A's a day, five A's a day. So let him kind of talk me back to doing an A a day. Mm. And then days when I'm not even doing that, still build me up, encourage me. Hey, remember how excited you were? Hey, what was that, that you were saying about uh, protection in the grave? What were you saying about raising, you know, uh, your, your ranks in Jannah? Right. To build me back up. And to give me that encouragement so that I didn't give up. It didn't just become something lost as a, yeah, that was a great lecture. Right? And so how many times have we heard that? Mm. How many times have we had some inspiring news or something? And we were, man, we were motivated. And we were going to do it. And it, was, it would have been life-changing for us had we stuck to it. But we mm. didn't. Why? Well, that's how life goes on. Right? And But if we had that mentor in our life, someone who is there, Taking that, realizing that, wow, that's a really good thing that you want to do. Because for the mentor, right, it's not about what they want for you. It's helping you achieve what you want for yourself. So having someone who would help you do the good things in life that you wanted to do and to keep pushing you and encouraging you. You know, subhanAllah, what a, what a different place the world would be. Mm.
Amazing. Yeah, I love that example. I think it's so true, especially with the with that guidance and that consistency. It's amazing. So, you know, with with, uh, with Y Transform, IYDE, like um, you obviously understand the youth, you know, you've been working with them for literally decades, right? What is yeah. the kind of support that you give to communities? Hmm. So... The idea is that we have, as a community, okay, we have to get away from the idea that we can have one superhero who's going to come in and save our community, mm-hmm. right? We we can't we can't have one youth director, and we say, look, we just have to have the right guy. He's going to be so amazing. He's going to be there for all of our youth, because there, there's certain physics that are involved. Right. For you to have a personal relationship with the youth, it takes a little bit of time. Mm. So let's say you just spend an hour a week, which isn't really enough time to build a, a meaningful relationship. But even if you did an hour a week, okay, let's say you're really good at it and the youth really connected to you. And so that one hour a week is enough. I mean, how many youth can you work? I mean, even if you're saying full time, you work 40 hours. Not that you even have 40 hours of access to the youth because they have school. Mm. They have homework. They may have sports or activities after school. Um, you know, they, they do stuff with their family. So you may even only have say, you know, 20 hours of access, 30 hours of access to the youth. And that's assuming you have them lined up at your door, Mm. ready to come one-on-one meetings. Look, that's 30. So one guy maybe can handle 30 youth. Mm. Now he's not doing anything else, by the way. He's not running programs on the weekend for the rest of the kids and so forth. Why? Because he's got to have all day Saturday, all day Sunday lined up just to do his one-on-one with all the youth, right? So, well, that's not going to happen. So that means he's effectively really, or she's really only going to be able to do, say, 15 to 20 youth, right? And that's assuming they're really good, you know, and that they maximize their time and, you know, and so forth. So one person can't do it all. And any community that can afford to hire a full-time youth director has way more than 20 youth that they're serving, Mm -hmm. right? They're going to be serving at least 100 to 200 youth. And then what about the several thousand youth that live within close proximity of the community that really should be engaged? But if they all showed up, there would be nothing there for them, yeah. right? So one person can't do it all. Even a team of two or three or five can't do it all. So the idea is to say, as a community, train a team of mentors. And those team of mentors can be overseen by a full-time youth director, for example, or even you know a volunteer to oversee the mentoring program. But then each of those mentors can work with, say, two or three or maybe even five youth, depending on how good they are. They can kind of build up over time. But they can work with those youth. And so now maybe if you have a team of 20 mentors, they're maybe able to serve 60 to 100 youth, right? And then as you continue to train more mentors, because we always want to train trainers for communities, help them build Mm. capacity to be able to serve, because there's always more youth than we have mentors. And that's just always the way it's going to be. But we want to be training as many mentors as possible. So now that community, maybe they can get 100 people in their community to volunteer to get the training so they serve the youth with skill, with knowledge, that they're not just going in, just like any other profession, every profession in our life, every service that we want in our life, we look for the trained professionals, right? Whether it's my doctor or lawyer, and you know, I definitely don't want some guy who's just seen a bunch of TV shows, you know, all the medical TV shows. I want the guy who's been to medical school, who graduated, mm-hmm. right? Who had somebody work with him, oversee his work, make sure that it was good before I let them operate on me, all the way down well, not down, all the way across to my plumber, my mechanic, uh, you know, I mean, any of those things. I want someone who's been trained, 
yeah. you know, who knows that skill before I let them in my house, in my home to serve my family. Otherwise, they, cause, they can cause a big problem. So why, when it comes to my youth, am I willing to accept anybody who says, I like kids, I'll work with them. Okay, great, kids, go with them. It doesn't make sense, right? I want someone who's had some training mm. on how to deal with it. And I see time and time again, you see bullying, you see discrimination, you see all kinds of things from well-meaning people trying to work with the youth, but they don't even realize what they're doing. And it causes harm to the youth. Because then the youth are like, oh, yeah, I went to the masjid. Oh, yeah, that Muslim guy, he was the most prejudiced person I've seen. And he dealt with me in a way that was very unfair and so forth. So training becomes critical so that our, our, our youth are being engaged by people who have an understanding of what it means to be youth, what they're going through, what behavior is positive and building and encouraging, and what behavior is actually degrading and, and, and taking people down and so forth. So so for communities, to get back to the, the question, what we do is we train a trainer for that community so they can continue to train more people. We train their initial team of mentors so that that team has the support of each other as well as the capacity to engage at least you know 20 to 30 youth off the bat. And then the idea is that it continues to grow from there so that new mentors coming in after that have an existing system that is already working that they can just join in. And then we help give that community programs that they, if they don't have programs of their own, but we help give them programs that the youth and the mentors are able to engage in together to build and foster that relationship. And then we continue to support those mentors throughout their first year of mentoring, because in the training, you can only cover so much. It's very information dense, packed. And so they also need that additional support and ability as they come across situations to ask questions and explore and you know, be reminded even of certain elements. So that way, the community actually develops a capacity to serve their youth in a meaningful way that's actually building and nurturing for those youth. And then what we find is, come to know that like 90 plus percent of the youth who have been mentored want to become a mentor themselves. Mm -hmm. So then once they team, they in turn can become mentors and you can now start to have a chain where maybe your young professionals and, and college students are mentoring your high school students, your high school students now are being mentors for the middle school students, you know, and so forth, you know, and ultimately the goal would be for the community to have a, a whole chain so that our senior citizens are mentoring our parents and our parents are mentoring some of our young professionals and college students and then, you know, on down the line. That way everybody has a mentor at every point in their life. And it makes sense because the mentor is someone who's five to 15 years ahead of us in life. So they're seeing things that we haven't seen yet. So we benefit from their experience, you know, and it's all within our sunnah, mm -hmm. right? This idea is why we always have this concept of respecting our elders because they have a wisdom and knowledge that Allah gave them that, that we haven't had yet. And so we can benefit and learn from them for wherever we are in life. Hmm. I think I think it's an amazing example you gave. I mean, right now we're going through the coronavirus uh, pandemic all around the world, right? Um, and <clears throat> it's got me thinking that if we think of the problems and the challenges that the youth are facing today, if we thought of it like the coronavirus, you know, do we actually have the capacity to serve the youth? Um, and if you yeah. just think about that example where you gave numbers of hours and this and that, it's like if all of the youth actually turned up and said, we want help right now, 
the system would collapse in any community, right? And it's the same with yeah. the hospitals. If everyone with coronavirus turns up at a hospital and says, we have the virus, the hospital will be finished, right? And so yeah. if you, what, but what, what, why this is scary for me when I'm thinking about this now is because I'm saying, so what that means is that deep down, maybe, maybe we're not serious about solving the problems. Maybe we're mm -hmm. looking at this at a very superficial level where we're like, yeah, we need to do something for our youth. We should do something for our youth. We can see them drowning and, and therefore we should do something. But it's not like we're all in with it, right? We're not saying like, that's it. You know, forget everything. The youth are our future. We have to drop everything else. We have to drop the politics. We have to stop worrying about this and that. We have to get focused on the youth and do everything possible for them because literally they are the future. But it's not yeah. like that. It's not like that in communities, right? It's more like, oh, why do we have to get these guys trained? And why do we have to pay for this? And how do we have to do this? So it, it, it's quite it's quite scary to think about um, us as Muslims raising our children in an environment where we, which we know is so dangerous, yet we're just not taking it seriously enough. Yeah, subhanAllah. And, and you're right. Actually, the coronavirus is, is an excellent analogy because just like the coronavirus, if we don't take that seriously and we're like, eh, you know what, I'm still going out to eat, I'm still, I'm healthy, I'm young, I'm whatever, um, I'm good. Well, communities that ignore those ideas of self-quarantining mm. and, and staying away and so forth, again, history shows us that the results are five to 20 times worse in terms of number of deaths and illnesses and so forth, just because they delayed an extra two to three weeks in addressing those issues. And it's it's no different from our youth, you know, and, and sometimes I feel like asking the community, like, how many of your youth do you have to lose to suicide and drugs and leaving the dean and so forth before you wake up? Does it have to be your kids? You know, mm -hmm. when you guys are sitting on boards and you're the decision makers in terms of whether or not the community is going to move forward with something, does it have to be your kids that get lost before you wake up and realize it? You know, and, and do you not realize you have an amana? If you're elected, you're on a board. You guys hold the, the purse strings. You guys are making the decision as to whether or not you should invest in training for people. Again, I mean, how many kids have to be lost before you wake up and realize that this is a pandemic of our youth and we're losing a lot of our youth? And don't be fooled because you look in your message. Oh, we have 200 youth here. Mashallah, we're good. Yeah, if you've got 200 youth here, it means you've got at least 20,000 youth that are out and about, mm. and what are you doing with them? Oh, well, their parents don't bring them to the masjid. It's not our fault. The doors are open. Anyone who wants to come can come. That's bogus, right? That's excuses because the reality is, as you just said, if they all showed up, you couldn't do anything for them. Mm. And then they have a bad experience at the masjid. It's like, you know what? I was desperate. I went to the masjid, and guess what? It was nothing. It was a bunch of other people with the same complaints that I had, and they did nothing for me. Okay, I'm out. Yeah, I tried that Muslim thing. I tried the masjid thing. doesn't work. you know. And they quit. And there are people that are deliberately preying on our youth to get them to leave the deen for one reason or another. And they use that stuff as an excuse. Yeah. You know, and, and they use the bad examples that are out there as an excuse to say, oh, see, that's what it's like. And if we're not showing our kids something different, you know, and here's the other thing. It's like, I think it's important to address this because sometimes communities say, and I hear this quite a bit, well, no one is willing to come forward and, and volunteer and be a mentor. You know, or they're not willing to volunteer at all. How do you think that you're going to get 10 or 20 people to become a mentor? Mm. And, and I say it's this. Number one, oftentimes they don't come to volunteer because volunteering is not respected, you know, in the sense that there are volunteers are often not treated well. Mm. 
they're overburdened. Um, you know, they say that I can volunteer for two hours and then we try to continue to guilt them into doing, you know, 10 and then 20 and then 30 hours of work till they burn out. Uh, they don't get support. They get grief from people. You know, they're there to volunteer. They get grief from the administration. They get grief from the other community members and so forth. You know, and so many volunteers I've talked to, this is their experience. I came, they kept pressuring me to do more work. And at the same time, I kept getting garbage from people from everywhere, you know, from, from Masjid administration to random people coming in the mosque to the people I'm trying to serve. You know, often it's a thankless job. And so just telling them, look, it's fisabilillah, deal with it all. Uh, that doesn't work for a lot of people. You know, I mean, I'm not, they're only there in the first place because it's fisabilillah, but that doesn't mean we should treat them like garbage or that we expect them to take garbage from people, right? So what we say is like, when we come in to talk to people about this idea of mentoring, number one, we tell them, we're gonna respect your time. You know, we ask you for two to three hours a week as a mentor, that's it. We're not gonna ask you for more than that. You're gonna be a part of a team. So you're not gonna be overwhelmed. And that's huge. Knowing that you're coming in and that you're a part of a team makes a huge difference than if you feel like, man, I'm gonna be there alone and I don't know what I'm gonna do and everyone's gonna expect everything on me. And so forth. And then number three, that we're going to train them. So it's not just have fears. I'm not sure if I can do this or not. I'm like, look, brother, if you're willing, you have a general like for, for youth, no problem. We're going to train you. We're going to hold your hand all the way through the process. We're going to be there for you. We're going to support you. We're going to give you the skills you need. You'd be amazed at how many people are willing to step forward when they know my time respected. I'm going to be trained and I'm going to be a part of a team. You know what? I'm willing to try that out. Mm. Um, and, and it's huge. And, and people do. They step forward. People are often amazed. Like, where do these people come from? Mm. Well, waiting for the right opportunity. They want to help most of the time. And it's a matter of us giving them the, the, the space and the means to do so in a way that's respectful of who they are and their time and so forth. So in a way, this is a lot more um, than just mentoring, right? Basically, you guys are coming into a community and you're really setting up an infrastructure and a real system for dealing with with the challenges of the youth and actually producing something that enables the community to support them in a much better way yes yeah absolutely um and, and honestly i really feel it becomes something that becomes a way of strengthening the entire community you know people talk about you know oh well i don't know if it's if it's worth it the investment and this and that and it's like Look, brother, it's less than the cost of a college course. You know, and how much money do we invest in, yeah. in kids, you know, our kids going to college? I mean, most of us are like, oh, no, for sure my kids are going to college. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, the cost, but they're going to go with, you know, maybe I can't send them to this school, but they're going to get some education, right? So we understand the value of education. So, I mean, the investment is there. And then when I tell the community, I say, look, most, most of our communities, the reality is the, the income comes from donations. People donate because they feel the message gives them some service, mm. you know, and that that's the reality. If, if I don't feel I get any benefit from my message other than maybe a place to pray, I, you know, I'm I'm not inclined to necessarily give a lot. Why? I can pray anywhere. I can pray at home. We can pray at the mm. back of the shop. You know, oh, so a bunch of brothers are meeting meeting over here. I'll just go over there and join them for Jummah. So if all I'm getting out of my message is a place for Jummah prayer, that's not necessarily enough to motivate me. But if I'm like, man, my kids love coming to the masjid. You know, they push me to come. They refuse to, mm. to let me sit home because yeah. they love the program. They love their mentors. It's doing something for them. And now the message says, hey, guys, we need your support. Ab, here you go. Why? Because you're providing me an invaluable service I can't get anywhere else. 
Mm. Right. So it actually draws in parents and parents we've asked have said, yes, that they have been more willing to donate when their children are at the program because they're getting a service, because they see a value in it. And it's and it's something that's meaningful to them. Then they're willing to step up and donate. And so we tell the community, look, invest in your community. I mean, we invest in walls and buildings and Mm. so forth. We need to invest in our people. You know, we have too many white elephants out there that are and, and plenty of buildings that are sitting empty or maybe have a handful of people mm. because we were all gung-ho to say, yes, I put my money and built this mess. And you see this wall right here. I built that wall, this chair I'm sitting in. I paid for that chair. Look at all the people who benefit from that chair. But we don't want to pay for the people to serve others in a meaningful way. And then we lose them, you know, and then we wonder. You know, say, oh, what if we train a mentor and then they move away? Okay, okay, alhamdulillah, they go benefit another community, right? But the idea is this is why we want to train a trainer. That's going to happen. That's life. People move. You know, the, the, some of the female mentors, maybe they get married or they have a, a baby. So they step out of the program for a little bit. Um, you know, life circumstances change. Yeah, that's going to happen. But great, they're going to be a benefit anywhere they go, even if it's just their own family. Mm-hmm. Very train a trainer so they can continue to train more mentors. There's always new people coming into the community, new people turning 18 or 20 or 21. Uh, you know, so there's always new people that we can we can be reaching out to and we can be training. You know, so it's it's the idea of having a growth mentality, right? Just like any any business. Our, our misogynists oftentimes, they, they don't have specific goals. You know, I ask them, well, what's your, you know, do you have any goals for your youth? Well, we have a youth group. Okay, that's great. But do you have any goals for your youth? Uh, you know, we want them to be good Muslims. Okay, alhamdulillah, but what, what does that mean? What, what are your SMART goals? What are your plans? Right? They don't have them oftentimes. You know, and if they do have them, they don't have any way of reasonably achieving them other than pipe dreams or hoping that it turns out well. Hmm. So let's say now, let's, let's try and get a little bit more practical because I think we've done a very good job of explaining the problem, explaining the challenges, explaining some of the ways that, inshallah, you can help. Um, practically on the ground, um, let's say that, you know, I'm a youth director in my masjid or, you know, I'm one of the committee members in my masjid. You know, we don't have a, a great amount of cash or anything. We know that there's a lot of young people who don't come to the masjid. Like, what are some of the practical things you think that a local masjid should be doing when it comes to their youth? I mean, I honestly think that practically they need to invest in a mentoring program. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, it's about putting positive adults in the lives of our youth that understand what it means to create positive relationships and how to do it in a meaningful way. I mean, I, I honestly believe that is the number one most important thing to be done because it's those relationships. Those are the relationships that make or break. Our, our youth. The lack and, of what do, and what does that look like practically? So imagine that you guys have come into the masjid, you've uh, trained the trainer, we have some mentors who have trained. What does it look like on a on a weekly or a monthly basis for the youth and practically once that infrastructure is in place? So what we suggest is that the community has a, a weekly meeting where all the mentors and youth come together. Mm-hmm. Um, because what that does, it provides a space for, I mean, easy scheduling, because, it, you know, for example, here in, in Cincinnati, we have from two o'clock to four o'clock on Sundays, you know, so it's it's right after the prayer. Uh, all the mentors and mentees come together and it's a way for them 
to to connect, to see each other, to again to feel a part of a greater thing. It gives our youth other youth to start making new relationships with and building friendships with. It gives our mentors a sense of support because other mentors are there, and it gives us a chance to deliver some programming. So, um, and that program is going to depend on what the what the goals of the message are. So, for example, one of the messages wanted to increase volunteering amongst the youth. So, there's a chance to talk to the youth about different volunteering opportunities and give them a chance to to set up some times with their mentor to go out and do volunteering at different activities outside. Um, it gives us a chance to do some tutoring. One of our communities wanted to have the youth improve their grades at school, do better at school. So it gives us a chance to do that. Um, some communities want to increase in Islamic knowledge. So it gives us a chance to kind of talk to the youth, again, at their level about things that are meaningful to them. And so creating these discussions, again, while the mentors are present, allows the mentors to also gain some insight into what areas of concern the youth have. So then they can take those things and take them deeper when they have their one-on-one -on -one time with the youth. So that way it's a chance to say, oh, like I noticed you were asking a lot of questions about the existence of God. You know, why don't we talk about, you know, how do we know that God really exists and so forth? So now we can have a deeper conversation because now I'm onto the idea that you had a lot of questions. Maybe that was you. Maybe that was a friend you had that was asking that. But, you know, it gives, again, these provide spaces for us to take things to a deeper level. Um, so we have that time together. And then we also do some, you know, some projects. So one of our mentors was really into robotics. So the youth were, we're building drones and robot arms and, and understanding, you know, how to program those and, and, and from scratch, right, from like the core components and so forth. So it was something that was of interest, you know, that a skill that we could give them that the youth were interested in. Uh, we did community gardens with them. So, you know, we would go out every other week for half an hour to an hour and, and volunteer at a community garden. So they had their own plot of land and they were growing crops. And again, it becomes a way of exposing our youth to new things as well. Some of them had never, you know, touched a, a worm before, had never, you know, dug in the ground with their hands before, uh, had never eaten anything that they had grown themselves before. So these were all, you know, good experiences, things like that. Um, and then in within that time, within that two-hour time, because again, we try to limit the time for the mentors two to three hours. So we usually use one hour for the first site, and then the second hour is to give the youth some one-on-one -on -one time with their mentors. Um, and then for mentors who have more than one youth, then we ask them, uh, to meet one-on-one -on -one outside the masjid at some time that they can arrange between them and their and their youth. Um, so that way there's that one-on-one -on -one time, you know, as well. Uh, and then we, we also try to have the masjids uh, or the community have some, you know, maybe quarterly, um, maybe a little bit more or less frequently, depending on that community, but have some like longer gathering. So maybe like a half a day on Saturday or an all-day Saturday and you know, let the youth decide what kinds of things would you like to do. So they can be completely free things like, hey, we're going to go to a park, do some hiking and fishing and and swimming. Um, you know, you know, youth have we've gone, uh, you know, roller skating, ice skating, things that might be just, you know, five dollars or you know something uh, as an activity. Everybody just brings their own money for those activities. Um, you know, we will do uh, you know, camping. Um, we uh, we went uh, ice skating, uh, you know, skiing. Uh, again, just, you know, and the kids did fundraising for that to, to bring in some extra money to cover those costs. Mm. So, you know, so there's some other activities. And, and what we find is now, for example, we have a Florence, uh, Kentucky, which is only about half an hour away from Clifton. So now those two communities have been doing a lot of things together. Wow. Right. So now it's, it's been increasing the pool. So we have about 45 to 50 youth between the two. Um, 
you know, and so, you know, we, we gather them together again about every one to two months, you know, to do some large activity where we can have everyone together. And again, it's, it's building friendships, you know, both amongst mentors between themselves, amongst the youth. And it gives the youth a chance now to be exposed to a lot more mentors. And so what happens is now, you know, we tell the youth, like, even though you may have one particular mentor that's like your primary mentor, but all of the mentors are available to you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you have a chance to have now, instead of just one extra positive adult in my life, well, now I've got 10 to 15, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't have to get along with all of them, but I find, you know, I really like these four or five. And so now again, it creates this space for me to have other positive people, other ideas, other personalities and so forth, where, you know, it's, again, it's creating a bonding for the community. Hmm. And now at any big community event, you know, all of the youth and the mentors, they're all kind of looking for each other, right? Because of this idea that when I, when I show up someplace, any of us do, right? I'm looking around, where, where are my friends? Where are the people hmm. that I know, right? Because yeah. now I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to these guys, at least, you know, say Saddam to these people. And it creates these opportunities now for the, our, our youth to have introductions to other people in the community because now the mentors are there as that, that intermediary. And so it helps to, to kind of build those relationships as well. And again, we see that where now our youth know a lot more people than they did before because the mentors are, are deliberately introducing them to some of the other uncles or aunties in the community. Mm. You know, as the youth are talking about, oh, I'm interested in this. It's like, oh, well, oh, you want to become a anesthesiologist? Let me introduce you to two anesthesiologists we have in the community. Oh, you want to become an architect? Oh, you want to become this? Right? Oh, let me introduce you. And now the youth would never have had a conversation because how is he going to know that uncle so-and-so or auntie so-and-so, you know, was an architect, but you know, the mentor knew because they're older and more engaged in the community and so forth. And now they can make those connections. Right. And again, now that becomes more that's really growing and developing. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds amazing. It's like, it's like nurturing children. It's like the difference between growing up with parents and without parents, you know, uh, and, yeah. and with you talking about mentoring, it's making me feel like, oh, I wish I had a mentor. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like really cool. Um, one thing I want to ask you is that, uh, Alhamdulillah, I've been very lucky. I've been able to do counseling in my life. I've done mentorship and things like this, right? Um, but I might have done it a little bit when I was a little bit older. Let's say that there's someone watching this who's late teens, early 20s, late 20s. And they're kind of thinking, you know what? Everything you're saying is really amazing. I wish I had someone around like that and I want to do something like that. But then again, like, I don't really have much experience. I haven't really achieved really anything in my life. And like, how am I going to mentor someone who's, who's like needs mentoring? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And Barakalofi for bringing it up. What I tell everybody is that everybody is ahead of somebody and behind somebody in life, right? There's always someone better off than us, someone who's worse off than us, no matter where you are in life. And that applies to everything in your Dean. There's people that are better than you indeed and people worse than you indeed. And wealth, there's people who have more money than you, people have less money than you. Skills, more skills, less skills. So everything in life, there's people that have done more or better than you and, and in some ways and people that are worse off than you in, in some ways. Mm. So what I tell the mentors are that no matter where you are in life, you have some life experiences and things like that that are going to be of benefit to some youth. Right. Every mentor is not perfect for every youth, but every mentor has some youth that they are perfect for. OK, so number one, you have some abilities and strengths and so forth that are going to be a benefit to others. OK, and so the idea is that as a mentor, 
we would help you find that youth that's going to be a good match for you within your community. At the same time, we mentor the mentors. So, you know, we have a weekly conference call, you know, that depending on which stage you're in, whether it's a training stage or the active mentoring stage, you know, or the, you know, the, the post mentoring stage, you know, there's a call that you come on and we provide direct mentoring, you know, for the mentors. So we're addressing common issues and so forth, you know, and then of course, you know, we do take some time, you know, as needed to do one-on-one calls with individuals as well to help each of our mentors grow both as a mentor and for yourself, because as you grow and improve in your own life, by default, that's going to pass down to the mentees and the youth that you're working with. So for someone who's in that state, I would say, number one, when you have a positive inclination to do something good, do it, right? Whether it's a sadaqa or anything, never short yourself. Shaitan is always going to convince you to not do good after that good inclination has come to you. So my general nasihat to anyone is any good in your life that you think about doing, do it. Just make the intention to do it and, and push yourself to take the action to do it. Then number two is don't beat up on yourself. Mm. Okay, maybe you haven't achieved much in life and so forth. Let that be the first step to achieving greatness, right? If you say, I haven't done a whole lot, I've had other things and so forth, I haven't just accomplished much, I promise you that you will not accomplish more in life that's beneficial to you than becoming a mentor and having a positive impact on somebody else. Mm. Um, you know, there, there are just, you know, the Sadaqat alone, that continuing charity of, of having a positive influence and, and inspiring some youth to do some good, to be a, a better Muslim, to be a better person, to be whatever, is huge. It's huge. I mean, that's something you can't even imagine, the rewards of that from just a little bit of effort. Not to mention that the skills you learn will help you improve your relationships with your own family, It'll help you uh, in your professional life because it's, uh, again, it's about how do you build people? How do you engage others in a positive way and so forth? So all of these things coming through the training. So in all of these ways, you're going to be growing as a person and, and developing and so forth. So the the benefit that you're going to be able to to pass on is going to be tremendous just based on the skills we're, we're learning. And so for yourself, it can be a great first step to achieving more in life. And here's the other thing. When you're setting yourself as an example, or not even, I take that back, because you're, you're not really setting yourself as the example per se, but what you're helping people do is learn critical thinking, learn how to solve their own problems and so forth. As you're encouraging them and teaching them how to you know, set smart goals for themselves, how to apply critical thinking to processes in their life, how to push forward and plan and grow and develop, by default, you're talking to yourself. And you'll be more inclined to do it when you're like, man, I'm talking to my youth about following through. I better start following through. Mm. And so you find you grow yourself as you're trying to help them grow. And so it becomes a very positive way for you to grow. And again, no matter what your shortfalls or your mistakes are in life, this becomes a double bonus. Number one, you know, I, I always tell people that, you know, uh, the Imam al-Haramid is not the best mentor for some inner city kid who has one Muslim parent who's really not grown up as Muslim, etc., why? I mean, they're so far apart that mm. there's there's no connection or space between them. Yeah. But you know what? That kid might have the perfect mentor and the one who's been struggling to pray. You know, you say, oh, man, I, you know, if I'm honest, I don't even pray five times a day. I struggle with it and so forth. You know what? You might be a great inspiration for that kid who's never prayed ever. You know, I mean, I remember once when I was 
in one of the youth camps. I was maybe 16 or 17. There was a talk about prayer and the importance of prayer. And one of the kids next to me was like, man, can you believe that? And, and he asked me, like, with all sincerity, do you pray five times a day? You know, and alhamdulillah, you know, my prayers were down at that time. I was like, yeah. He's like, man, how do you do it? I wish I could get there someday. Right. He was just honestly blown away by a, a youth appear his age actually praying five times a day. Mm. You know, and I remember thinking, it's like, man, I consider praying five times. That's like the bottom of the barrel. I'm like, you know, man, I'm not doing any sunnahs. I'm like, oh, you know, kind of a, you know, ashamed. I'm like, I'm not doing any tahajjud. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to all of these, you know, you know, extra things. Like, I'm not doing any of this. I'm just like, man, I'm just barely getting in my minimums, you know, and I'm feeling ashamed of that, you know. It was really eye-opening. It's like, wow, I'm an inspiration, you know, to somebody doing the bare minimum. Like, I'm ashamed of myself because I'm not doing anything extra, really. Mm. You know, here's someone who's like looking up to me, like, you know, man, can't wait to be as good as a Muslim as you someday. <laughs> right? It's like, it's like I'm like way up here. I'm like, wow, I'm like, oh, and I'm way down here, right? So, you know, it's the same principle with mentoring, right? That every mentor is like, you know, great, you know, the scholar of Islam is not going to be necessarily the best mentor for that you know, youth that's like way down there because, you know, you may be the best of intention and everything else, but he may see you as like, you're so far ahead of him. He's not even processing what you're saying. Yeah. Well, you know, it's easy for you to say, start with one prayer a day. What do you know? You know, Mr. Tehedjit every night, <laughs> right? Because yeah. sometimes that's what's in their mind, right? But when like you're struggling to pray, you may appreciate that more and so forth, right? Now, that being said, it's not like we're out looking for people like, okay, now I need mentors who only pray once a week. <laughs> okay, great. You, you, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we still want our mentors to be, you know, in a, in a good state and so forth. But the message of the mentors is that no matter how much you struggle, it just means you may be a perfect mentor for someone else who's even struggling more. Who, yeah. You know, we tell our mentors, don't share your sins with others. But being in a position where you understand what they're going through may give you some insights that someone who's never been through some of those struggles just would never have. Right. And so, therefore, you're in a better position to share with them. Hmm. Um not to share with them, but you're in a better position to guide them because you've been down that path of struggle that maybe, you know, having grown up in a household where prayer was always encouraged and so forth. And, you know, maybe the five dailies was, yeah, no, I grew up doing that all the time. Never missed a prayer. You know, maybe I, so I can't really understand the kid who's never, never prayed and, and so forth. So for that mentor who's struggling with the idea of whether or not they would want to or not, I say, look, Believe me, there is a youth who's, who's perfect for you, you know, and, you know, again, go through the training, this, the skills and so forth, even leaving Islam out of it, because, I mean, the program itself is actually, it's open for everybody, right? Because the mentoring skills are universal, you know, it, it, helping people set goals, learn critical thinking, how to build people, how to acknowledge people, how to praise people, how to be a, you know, someone who shares values and not preaching and how to listen and how to. I mean, all these things are, are universal skills. I mean, team building and leadership. So, you know, even saying, great, you don't even know much about Islam yourself. Great. We're not asking you to be a teacher. In fact, one of the things we talk about in the training is like, look, you're not imams. Mm. Right. Don't give up. You're not there to yeah. give knowledge. Uh, you know, you're there, in fact, to guide people. How do you do it? If you get a tough question. What do you do? Oh, we go to the people of knowledge. Right. So that's what we're teaching the youth. So. Great. They ask you a question. Well, how about this? What's the ruling on this? Hey, good question. You know what? Let's go talk to the imam. Let's find out. Right. So then they say, oh, well, you're in it with them. Oh, you're learning with them. You're growing with them. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have to know. 
answers. My mentor doesn't know all the answers. That's right. That's why we have scholars, right? And, and, and now we're teaching them that process because a lot of our adults have that problem. They think they know a whole bunch of things they don't know, you know, and they're giving fatwas left and right. And, mm. oh, I think this, haram, and this and that. And like, look, brother, slow down. You know, you're saying a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, you, you're, 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 you're cherry picking from different things. And some of it's coming from bad sources and uh, all kinds of things. You know, much better. We've taught our youth. Wow. Good question. I don't know. Mm. Music. A good question. Let's go talk to the imam. Yeah. Right. No matter what you, you know, but, you know, let's go talk to the imam. Let's go talk to our scholar. Um, you know, so so that's you know, that's what I say to, you know, to those that are, you know, on the fence. Ah, I don't know if I want to, if I'm good enough, you know, if I'm the right person. Yeah, you are. You know, come get the training because that's going to benefit you. You're going to be able to be a positive benefit in somebody's life. You know, even if it's not a formal mentoring program, you will have a much better understanding of how to build somebody up and how some behaviors that you might have thought were positive are in fact destructive to those people. Hmm. And I think I think there's two big points I, I get from what you're saying as well. Um, I think in my own experience, I've found that whenever you give for the sake of Allah, especially when it comes to your time and helping humanity, like the 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 return that you get is so so amazing. Like you know, I always tell yeah. people that Alhamdulillah, because of the volunteering I did, I made some of the best friends I ever I've ever had. You know, I I, I worked on some of the greatest projects I've ever done. Uh, I even met my wife because of volunteering and like so much good alhamdulillah like comes from volunteering and giving and mentoring um, so I think it's very very important and then the second thing is that one of the things I've done in my life is I taught Quran to children how to read for about 10-12 years um, and when I first started teaching I really didn't know much about reading Quran like I just wanted to help my local uh, families and things like that and I just got them together but what I found is that through the process of teaching them my own Quran actually improved so much, like much more than when I was learning it, right? Because it's like you have to catch their mistakes. So if you're catching their mistakes, it's much easier to catch your own mistakes when you're then doing it and stuff. So I think like, you know, it's just like, you're right. People shouldn't even be thinking about whether I'm not, whether I'm right for this or not. They should be thinking, I'm going to do this no matter what. Let me get right at it, even if I'm not right for it. You know, uh, yeah. because, you know, one, one little intention with, with like consistent action, it can take you so far. Um, so I think it's a it's an amazing point. I mean, one thing I want to kind of delve into because we're kind of running out of time is really leadership. Um, because I think anyone that uh, looks at you, looks at the things you're talking about, you know, for us, you're definitely a leader. So tell us, uh, especially now that you're studying it in so much depth as well, um, what is leadership for you? You know, what is what is it all about? What's your kind of view on it all? So, of course, that's a very long answer to uh, someone doing PhD in leadership, right? <laughs> because uh, there, there are so many different theories of leadership and so forth. Yeah. Um, one of the my favorite theories, because I think it is most in alignment with you know with the Islamic concepts, is you know servant leadership, right? Which is that the best of leaders is the best of servants, you know. And this is what we see in the prophetic models. Um. So for me, leadership is really about serving others in a way that helps them to to grow and develop and to be the the best that they can be so you know if our messages have good leadership for example that means that they're serving the people they're providing the services and things to help their community grow and develop in the way that's going to be best for them uh you know leadership can be making you know tough decisions so for example you know those messages that said hey we need to close for Jummah during the coronavirus you know it's a tough decision and there's a lot of People, I'm sure that you know, disagree with that and so forth. But as a leader, you need to say, "Hey, we need to be concerned about protecting our community. 
And so therefore, there's some steps that we need to take that we think are going to be in the best interest. So you have to make some tough decisions sometimes. But again, it's with the benefit of the community and those that you're leading and those that you're therefore serving. And I think that's really the, the key of leadership. Uh, and this is why I think that again, mentorship is really about, it's about leadership because you are serving those youth for their benefit, for their growth. And sometimes it means you make some hard decisions. Sometimes it means you have to be tough on them with certain things because it's about their long-term benefit and growth. And they may not understand why things should be a certain way, why they should or shouldn't do a certain thing right now. You may need to really encourage them or push them or, or be there for them. Because that's really what leadership is about. The Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, no question, is the best leader in the world. You know, and that's not just my opinion, you know, outside people, non-Muslims, you know, the 100 greatest people in the world, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was ranked number one. Uh, why? Because he, you know, truly led from that position of, of servitude, you know, and you know, he was in the trenches digging the, the trench of the Battle of Ahad. He was always there to be of service to everybody. You know, there's the, you know, the, the, the little girl who came and needed some help and, you know, grabbed Prophet's hand and, and led him away to go help with some chore she had. He was in the middle of, you know, meeting with the other, you know, Sahaba and so forth. But he, he goes with her, right? And what does it say that the girl knew? I mean, a young girl, she knows I can just go and, and pull him to help me and he's going to come help me, right? She's not afraid. Oh, I can't go talk to him. I can't interrupt him. Right. It's like, why? Because he had already created this space of understanding amongst his community that he was there to serve and to benefit the community. And so they know they had that access to him. So, I mean, this is the essence of, of leadership. You know, I believe this this idea of, of serving and, and benefiting others and and doing and saying and, and taking the actions that are going to ultimately benefit your community the most or benefit those that you're leading the most. Um, so, so that I think is, is the, is the essence of leadership. Amazing. That's wonderful. Um, you know, when it comes to yourself and your own development, because obviously like I'm sure you've become a better leader because you're now training leaders and mentors and stuff like this, but like who's a leader that's really inspired you in your life? I mean, you talk about the Prophet Sallam. Um, but is there anyone that in your life who you've kind of been around or you've you've heard a lot from them or anyone that kind of inspired you as a leader? I mean, I, I would say there's a, a few. Um, I think Imam Siraj Wahaj mm. is one. Um, Dr. Ahmed Al-Qadi uh, is another one. Uh, Sheikh Abdullah Idris uh, is another one. And, and I think that, um, and Hamza Yusuf, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf also would be another. Alhamdulillah, I, I was blessed to have exposure to all of them uh, in, in person through a lot of uh, mini camps and, and so forth growing up. And for me, that 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 inspiration came number one they were there at camp with us right so i mean i, I knew i mean they were you know you know imams they they had so many things going on in their communities and so forth and yet they would take a week out to come join us and be with us at camp you know we were youth we're you know we're still small you know as an organization and 
you know, they were, they were volunteering. I'm sure, I mean, we paid for their, or, you know, their plane tickets, I'm sure were, were covered, but, you know, I mean, they weren't getting anything, you know, from being there. Um, and, and consistently, oh, I have to also add um, uh, Jamal Badawi as well, uh, in there as well. But consistently, we see them coming. They're there. They're serving the youth. They're giving their time. I mean, they had their families and so forth, but they were sacrificing their time and effort for our benefit, right? To be there for us to have a chance to learn. They were approachable. We could ask them questions, and they dealt with us in, in, in kindness and, and so forth, right? And there were no stupid questions. Everything was was addressed. Um, and then over the years, I continue to see them. For example, you know, uh, you know, Sheikh Jamal Badawi was at a. This was just you know a few years ago. Um, was at a conference and he was getting he was to be the speaker at the next um, session. But he was in this in the previous session, and it's a youth who's talking, right? And he's sitting and he's taking notes, right? And he thinks, "Final, I mean, what is he learning you know, from that youth?" But he's learning something, right? He's there also as a student, right? This this humbleness, this desire to to constantly be learning. You know, and, and again, always seeing them serving, right? There, there are so many places serving, 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 you know, always there for, you know, for the others, uh, you know, always making that intention and having, you know, their, you know, their families are supporting them, you know, and, and going, you know, and it's just hard on the families. You know, it's hard to, you know, great, your dad's not around a lot because he's, he's traveling and he's doing other talks and he's doing things like that and, and having that support. So for me, that was always that principle, like, look, they're, they're always giving, they're always open. You know, again, anybody could come up to them, any conference, et cetera. You know, why are they always surrounded with people? Because they're open to that. They don't have this mm. sneak out the back door and no one's going to get to talk to me and, you know, so forth. I, I, you know, came in, I gave my lecture, I'm getting a big, you know, a giant fee and then I'm out of here and so forth. There's always that, that sense of openness and it's that, that prophetic model, you know, that you, mm. that you see in them, um, you know, and others, you know, but, you know, it's finally just always, this idea of service, you know, even, you know, to the to the potential of their own ruin, you know, if you will, you know, financially and so forth that, you know, they could be doing other things. You know, Dr. Ahmed Al-Qadi, you know, may Allah, you know, uh, bless him and elevate his ranks in Jannah, you know, you know, passed away a number of years ago, but just so foundational in establishing, you know, so much good, you know, and so much, uh, you know, research, you know, he was one of the first people who opened up you know, a, a hospital for anybody who needs it, you know. Um, and, and again, it was to this idea where his own financial ruin, because he's like, no, all well, these people need the help. And and so you know, they came in and always got free service and so forth. Why? Because they couldn't afford, you know, but he was there, you know, benefiting them and, and, and so forth. So, you know, again, it, it's just, I mean, these, you know, examples of living the talk, right? It's not just here's a lecture on how you should serve and so mm. forth, but like, wow, look at you. You're actually giving of your time it's not just oh yeah i have a free two hours on a weekend you know may allah bless all of those who are giving their two hours but that's not a life of service necessarily yeah, you know yeah um, it's, it's that person who's saying no i'm i'm always there and i'm going to turn my professional life even into a means of providing service and benefit to others you know so i mean because we all have to earn our livelihood but you know beyond that it's like, okay, so if you're earning your livelihood in, say, 40 to 60 hours a week, what are you doing with your other 60 hours a week? Um, you know, because I tell everyone, I say, look, don't talk to me about busy. You know, I was talking about being a mentor recently. Uh, he, he was one of our mentors, and, um, you, know, he, you know, he recently got married, and so I was like, so when is your wife going to come join us to be a mentor also? He's like, well, you know, brother, she's really busy right now. She's working on her PhD, and, 
I said, brother, I'm working on a PhD <laughs> and I'm full time. Okay. When does she start? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, because the idea is like, look, we, we all have two to three hours a week. Mm-hmm. And nobody can come in and say, I understand busy. I'm incredibly busy. But I guarantee you that if you are, are completely honest with me and, and you give me the last month of everything you've done, I guarantee I could find two hours a week in your schedule that you wasted, Definitely. whether it was a movie, yeah. just hanging out, doing something. Right? I'm not saying, you know, uh, oh, I'm taking away from your family time. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. Your family time, I can find two hours in anybody's schedule. Even if you just looked at, you know, something like if you just said the words to them, like YouTube binge or YouTube rabbit hole, right? <laughs> like just that one thing that like we're just watching one video and then suddenly it's like two hours gone. You're supposed to do something else, and you're like, two hours, I just watch stuff, you know? And it's yeah. like, that's two hours right there, you know? Yeah, yeah, subhanAllah. Amazing. Um, yeah, so, but seeing these people where it's like, you know what? Yeah, they're not on social media. They're not watching TV. They're not doing anything. Why? Because all of their extra time that's not working or not with their family, they're out there serving their communities, right? And mm-hmm. you know, and, and people like this uh, that I mentioned, you know, may, may Allah continue to always, you know, bless them and bless their families and and elevate their ranks in Jannah because they've been there for decades, you know, doing this service and you know, it's you know, it's 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 really it's just, it's just so inspirational. Right. You know, and, sure. you know, and, and I find myself like, if I, I can't, you know, if I'm not serving people, I'm like, I'm feeling bad. Like, man, why are you wasting your time? What, what are you doing? You know, because you need to be out there and benefiting and, and, and serving others uh, because that's a prophetic. I mean, we're all good at something. Right. So for me, it's like, I'm if I'm blessed with the ability to do that. That's what I need to be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, so. You know, at a minimum, people should do some volunteering. I think everybody should do some volunteering, right? And maybe you say mentoring is not for me. Great. Do something, though, right? Be active in your message in some way. Volunteer in some capacity that you're benefiting other people besides yourself or your family. I think that's critical. I think everybody should be doing some kind of volunteering. Um, you know, of course, you know, I encourage people to do mentoring. I think that's one of the most powerful <laughs> ways of, of volunteering. Yeah. But it's definitely not for everybody. Hmm. Um you know, and some people may even go through the training even and say, you know what, brother, sister, you know, I think you should, you know, do something else or maybe be a support to the mentoring group or something. Not not everybody's gonna be, you know, somebody who can necessarily mentor well. But I think that the the training is definitely worth it. It can apply to a lot of different aspects in your life. Mm-hmm. And if you discover that mentoring is not for you, I promise you you'll still have benefited greatly from the training. Um, yeah. you know, and now with uh, you know, with Why Transform, you know, we're taking it global. So that people literally around the world will have access, you know, to the training. They'll have access to the calls, and um, you know, and then inshallah, once we get enough people in any one country, we'll be there as well to do some live uh, training as well. But it's absolutely worth uh, the skills that you get. You know, I mean, I I can't tell you any one class I had in college that I can say, oh yeah, I'm definitely using those skills all the time. Um, but what you learn in, in the training that we'll cover um, and the why transform. You know, I promise you, stuff that you'll use your whole life. Inshallah. Mm, Amazing. So um, just before we kind of close, I wanted to ask you about resources, right? Any books, tools, apps, anything that you would recommend to anyone who's interested in the field of the youth, leadership, mentorship, these kind of areas. What are some of the resources that you would really recommend or tell them to go to? Um. 
mentor.org has a, um, a, a plethora of resources uh, on, on mentoring. Uh, so a lot of manuals and training and so forth. Um, so, so that's, you know, that's good. A lot of it really depends on what you like to, how you like to acquire knowledge. You know, so some people it's, it's reading and they just really want books or they really want written material. Uh, so mentor.org is a, is a good, uh, you know, organization that has a lot of materials. Um, of course, our mentor training program, you know, it's, it's, it's video training. We have the conference calls. So for the, visual learners and so forth. We have some, you know, written you know, resources. We refer to people in there as well um, in those classes. So it's very much a kind of a combination of all things. Uh, we kind of pulled the best of practices and current knowledge and so forth, as well as all of our experience to provide all of the mentor training. Uh, so that's a nice comprehensive uh, package. Um, other than that, um, I'll, uh, I'll send you a list of uh, books that also makes uh, for some good reading. I make this kind of post out of the list people can Great. then you know, look up and read. Um, yeah, otherwise that, that's it. Otherwise it's really kind of hit and miss. There's not a lot of kind of comprehensive information out there that's, um, that's necessarily like applicable across the board. You know, and that's one, one of the challenges, really, is that there's a lot of things that are, you know, maybe it's really applicable to a particular culture, to a particular incident, but it's not necessarily something you can kind of take and expand, you know, to everybody. Yeah, and I think this is why it's so important to have people like yourself who have spent decades in the arena, because really, with a lot of this stuff, you've just got to pick up things from so many different places and try and bring it all together, you know. Um, so it's amazing that you've been around. I mean, tell me, like, if someone wants to get involved uh, with you guys and wants to kind of look into what you do and get your help, like, where do mm -hmm. they go? How do they do that? So then go to our, our website, whytransform.com. Um, and we have a kind of a step-by-step -step process talking about more in-depth of exactly what we're doing, how to get involved, how to both sign up to become a mentor or sign up to you know, bring your community on board. Um, or just to, you know, get a little bit more information about the processes, some of the challenges we face and so forth. Um, you, know, you know, we have a, a YouTube channel as well um, that um, well, we have some uh, instructional and informational videos uh, posted there. Um, so those are probably some of the best ways um, are if the more, more kind of history research side of things. Uh, IYDE.org, you know, also has you know information there. Um, so, but I would, I would suggest really starting with whytransform.com. It's kind of the, you know, the, that process. You know, we've, we've really built that website around the idea of understanding why it's important that we transform ourselves uh, through that process of learning to become a mentor and why it's important that we help our youth transform themselves to become the best version of themselves to live to their fullest potential and understanding that it's at the end of the day on each of us uh, to really help others grow and develop. Um, because again, that's, that's the prophetic model. You know, he was always there giving the right Messiah, the right help, uh, supporting and building others. Uh, you know, and it was, it was customized. Right. And so, so that's that, that process of, of really kind of the skills. So why transform.com? I would say it's the best way to kind of go through that process and, you know, see where, where you fall and what the next step is for you. Sure. I mean, me personally, I would say that 
if anyone watching this is involved with the masjid or the youth in any way, like even distantly, like you have to go and check out Riyadh. And I'm giving my personal stamp of approval. If you guys have seen, seen the show before, you've seen that I don't do that. But for me, like when it comes to the youth, I think it's such an important topic. Um, so Riyadh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here today. Jazakallah khair for all your time and your wonderful advice. I know everyone who's watching would have got massive benefit, you know. Uh, you would have played your part in them being better mentors, better leaders, inshallah. So thank you so much for, for being on the show. You're very welcome. Okay, brothers and sisters, this is the Muslim CEO show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I hope you guys are actually going to go out and check out whytransform.com. Reach out to Brother Riyadh. Uh, please remember to subscribe to our channel. And in case you haven't checked out our training already, check it out at muslimceo.com. Jazakallah khair for watching and I'll see you in the next one. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa